Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck, a Medallia company. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. This podcast is also brought to you by the Success League, a consulting and training firm focused on developing top-performing customer success programs. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. And today I'll be talking with Mel Bilgay. She is the manager of customer success at LearnDot, a learning management solution. Mel took over customer success after being the first CSM in the organization and has grown the team over the past year. And she'll be sharing her approach to growing customer success inside of a startup and moving from the individual contributor role into a leadership position. Mel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kristen. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast today and chatting with you and sharing my story with all your listeners. Tell me a little bit about how you landed in customer success. What was your path into this field? Yeah, well, I definitely fell or stumbled into <laughs> it. Um, but my passion for helping customers can probably go back to when I was 16 in high school and I started working at Target in the guest services area, so doing returns. And if you worked in retail, um, it is an experience you never forget. <laughs> you never forget some of those interactions. And it's a place where you learn really quickly whether or not you are a people person. And it yeah. turned out through that that I was. Um, yep. So that was kind of my my first taste of, of helping customers and being excited and feeling really good when I made someone's day a little bit better. So just kind of keeping that in the back of my mind. Went on to college. I graduated with a bachelor's in industrial engineering, and I started my career as a business analyst. So I was working with customers to help them implement large-scale ERP systems for pension administration. Um, mm -hmm. With that, gathering requirements, spec design, very technical work, and coordinating user acceptance testing. But throughout all of this, the common thread was working very closely with people to find out what their pain points were, devising a solution to the problem, and ensuring their needs were met. And the success criteria in this relied on how well you could also train and educate customers on the new product and solution that we are bringing in, which okay. is sort of what got me interested in customer education, <laughs> too, and yeah. how pivotal that is to seamless change management. So after that, I started working with Service Rocket, and I worked with the LearnDot product as the implementations consultant. I did this for about a year. And I learned a lot about customer education as well and expanded my knowledge in that front because LearnDot is a learning management system at its yep. core. And one thing that was clear to the business unit leaders at the time when I was doing implementations was that I went really hard for customers. And it, I really held the company value of delighting the customers to heart. And that was extremely important to me. And around this time, I started learning about customer success as a business function, reading what I could get my hands on. And I felt like the buzz was really going on, you know, a couple years ago in the customer success field. And it was like the light bulb came on where it was customer success was putting words to what I was subconsciously doing for years, which was yeah. helping customers define and achieve their business outcomes. So I knew 
that this was the niche I wanted to go into long term. And when our org restructured, it was evident that there was a need to implement customer success. And I was offered the job to take that on and not only be the first CSM, but be the success team itself. Yes. Um, before we get into that, because that's going to be the bulk of what we talk about today, I, I know you work for LearnDot, which is, you said, a part of Service Rocket. Can you tell us a little bit more about LearnDot and the company's mission? Yes. LearnDot, from a product standpoint, is a learning management system, but we go far beyond the product. So our mission is to be our customer's most reliable partner in the acceleration of their growth. And we do that through helping them build profitable training programs that lead to more sales, increase product adoption, and better train customers that use less support and find more value in the product. So that mission is the core of everything that we do. It's in every slide for any presentation we do with the customer, it's the first slide. Anytime internally we have an all hands or we meet, it's the first slide. So that mission really drives our focus as a team and as a business. And it's really important to that. And it's something we strive to live up to every day. And we don't necessarily always do it, but that is that is our goal. That's fantastic. And I love how you're really living the mission um, by, you know, showing it, you know, in, in your presentations. But obviously you have a lot of passion for it too, and you're out there in front of the customers. So that's amazing. Yeah. And it actually came about from a conversation with the customer when we did our first QBR ever. This They said, we want to be your partner and we want you to help us be a force multiplier. And after that, um, my manager and I, Bill, we sat down and we came up with the mission statement based <laughs> on that customer conversation. And we shared that story with them. And it's just really resonated with everyone that we've ever told that that to, even at the company level at Service Rocket, other business units as well are adopting a very similar mission to that. That's amazing. I, I love that. Uh, so today we're going to talk about your journey from CSM to CS leader. Uh, as you were thinking about that move, what drew you toward the leadership role? Yep, it's been quite quite the journey. Yeah, um, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a big move. One can say a quest. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been someone who's constantly brainstorming how to improve and optimize things. That's pretty much why I was an industrial engineer. Optimization is the foundation for that discipline. And I felt like I could do great things if I was given a team and resources to help make my vision a reality. So I've always had a vested interest in leading a team or a program to bring these types of ideas to fruition. But what I'm also motivated by is the feeling of helping others become successful. And this isn't just with customers. It's yeah. that feeling of sharing your knowledge with someone else, being their guide and mentor, and watching them succeed. And there's something very next level about that that's extremely different from the delight I get in my own success from those contributions that I make as an individual. It's seeing someone's career grow and blossom and knowing you saw something in that person and you helped them untap that potential. And that's why I wanted to be a leader, to chase that feeling and be able to do what so many other great managers in the past have done for me, which was give me a chance, the right amount of autonomy and see what I can do. And those opportunities that I've been given along the way in my career are really what helped fast track me and get me to where I was today. So I kind of wanted to return the favor in a sense too. I love that. That's a 
that's the best reason to get into management is the the multiplier effect that you can have on people's careers and you know building up other leaders and then having them move into management it just multiplies the number of good managers and leaders who are out there and that there's so many bad ones yes. <laughs> it sounds like you've had some really good experiences i had a few good experiences scattered amongst a lot of really bad leadership experiences you know as i was coming up um, through my career path and you know so i always wanted to be a better leader than the bad leaders that i had worked for and that was a real driver for me but um you know what i love about leadership is that the opportunity to grow other leaders and kind of offset the bad leadership that's out there. So Absolutely. I'm excited to hear that you like that too. <laughs> yeah. But you need, I think if you're going to be a good leader, you need to be in it for the right reasons and not yes. just to have a, a manager or a director or a title. You need to be in it because your focus needs to be on managing and leading that team. And that needs to be your primary responsibility. And I think if you're not in that mindset, you're not going to be a good leader and you're going to struggle and it's going to be reflective in the relationships that you have with with your team and your reports. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I think there are I think a lot of people though and I mean tell me what you think about this. I I think there's a lot of people that think that that's kind of the only path forward. I would yes, I would agree. Like you have to be a manager. That's the next step. But I think, especially in the tech world, and I see this very commonly in, in Silicon Valley, is you can be a senior level individual contributor and do yes. very well for yourself and grow a really strong career because you need the doers. And yes, there, not everybody is going to be a great people manager. And that's a fact. And I think sometimes you try to fit that square peg into the round hole. And that's not everybody's cup of tea. And that's okay. You can still be very successful long term in your career without going into people management, because that's a yeah. very big difference, people management versus, <laughs> you know, work stream management. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think a good message for us to give to the CSMs out there that are thinking that's their only path forward. If what you really love is being in front of customers and building customer relationships and the idea of managing other people seems daunting, you don't have to go down that road to advance your career. You can continue to manage increasingly large clients and develop more and more complex ways of doing your your work and be an individual contributor and make tons of money doing that. Yes. Um, so, you know, if, if so there's other paths. <laughs> Pretty yeah, much yeah, there's, there's so other many. paths. Program <laughs> yeah. management. You yeah. can also be, yeah, exactly as you said, like an enterprise senior CSM that just yep. brings so much knowledge and skill to the table. And that can just be your focus on these million, multi-million dollar accounts. You don't have to go into people management and I think that's a really great point to make and a misconception that's that's out there. Yeah. Okay. I want to come back to you. Um, as you and I were talking ahead of this interview, you mentioned that one of the challenges you faced initially was that while there were a lot of CS models and tools out there for mature companies, there weren't that many that had been designed for startups. How did you overcome that? Yeah, that's a great question. So mostly learning from failures. So there were numerous <laughs> initiatives we tried implementing at LearnDot that were based on, I would say, highly scalable mature models that quite frankly didn't work for us and our customers. And it took longer than we probably care to admit to realize that 
we -hmm. needed to change course and that there wasn't a one size fits all model to doing customer success. Another important misconception. And, you know, for us, we don't have 10,000 customers. (laughs) We were doing things like we did, for example, putting automation in every communication we did, whether that was asking for MPS, release notes, pop-ups about events, how we gathered ideas and enhancement requests, or even how people requested to talk to a CSM. All of that was through some automated process instead of just picking up the phone and talking to someone. And, you know, we thought we needed to implement customer success in a way that would scale 20x tomorrow. But that wasn't today's problem. And the key was that we needed to step back and look at how we could help our customers better now. And if that meant spending a few hours with them each week, helping them work through their business problems, then let's do that and not worry about how to scale it. We can deal with that later when we need to cross the bridge. So overcoming that lack of content out there for building a CS model when you're smaller or less mature really started with learning from our mistakes, but mostly getting to the point of acceptance and realizing, yes, we are high touch. We need to do high touch customer success and our model needs to reflect that. And from that point on, once we acknowledged and embraced that, all of the decisions and the processes that we built were reflective of that sentiment. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important thing to note if you're in an early stage company. Um, it It isn't scalable to have high touch customer success as you grow. But when you're in a startup phase, it's so important that you have high touch customer success because part of what you're doing is servicing customers, but the other part of what you're doing is you're learning from your customers and you're learning about your product market fit and your use cases. Absolutely. And the only way to do that is to be out there listening to what they have to say. That is so true. So much of what we've changed from our vision for our roadmap and everything we do has been based off learning from customers. So there's just so many great nuggets of information that are out there, but you need to ask to turn over those stones. And it's just been such a great decision for us. And I agree, if we were to get to that level and those volumes, we couldn't necessarily implement success the way that we have now, maybe for our top, top tier customers, mm-hmm. but we would need to change things. But I, I wish that, and one thing that would really help getting others to know that this is okay and this is a good approach is for more conferences and talks to have folks on there coming from smaller businesses. Because yeah. I think it's they're always looking for the big names and the big companies, but that doesn't reach to the smaller companies. And I've sat so many times in conferences and just felt like (laughs) nothing I can take back and and really implement because we don't have those resources or we don't have an army of of CSMs. And I wish there was just more of that type of content that was available and more conferences really looked at that audience as a big opportunity to speak to because there are so many startups and smaller businesses that could benefit from this type of knowledge. Yeah, there's so many more SMBs than there are Microsofts out there. And you're right. Those conferences always focus on these huge companies and, you know, they start to look kind of cookie cutter because they're all doing very similar things. And those things don't really work for startups. Yep. Some of them do, but yeah, 
you can not take, everything, you know, nuggets here and there, and you could craft that into something that would work for you. But sometimes what you really love is just a framework. Here's yeah. a template. Take this. Here's a deck and you could just change, <laughs> like control F, swap yeah. out the company name and here you go. And when you're small, that those types of assets are so helpful to get you started and can really let you take off running if you have that type of guidance. Yeah. I know another challenge that you mentioned is the need to operate within a really lean budget. I know that most of our listeners right now are facing that challenges they're heading into 2021 coming off of a COVID year. How did you tackle trying to grow while working within a small budget? What budget? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or no that's budget. Another question, right? <laughs> uh, that's what we all struggle with. Um, but I'd say we tackled that with two key concepts. The first was working with what we had in terms of people and skill sets. Okay. And the second was making a plan based on forecasting that we could share with the executive team to get their buy-in, to make the appropriate investments and illustrate where the money would go and exactly what we expected in return. So in terms of working with what we had, when I started building the team along with my manager, we knew we weren't going to be able to go out and hire some CSMs. We didn't have the budget for this. And we had made some, I'd say, maybe missteps in the past, and we needed to show that we could execute on the strategy first, that we had the strategy right, and prove that our direction was going to bring in results before anybody was going to hand us a check for any amount of money. So at that time, we had myself, who was sort of a, a part-time CSM because I was also managing our support team and doing all sorts of other things. We had a highly organized implementation consultant. We had a trainer. And a support engineer who was, I'd say, a fan favorite of our customers and very interested in pivoting <laughs> to a more customer-focused role. So okay. we sat down and said, all right, well, what do we want the responsibilities of a CSM to be? And we decided that would be onboarding, helping customers achieve their outcomes, and renewals and expansions. And each of those areas had their own target. And then we said, well, could these individuals execute on these areas? Yes. Are they willing to try something new and take on this new role that we just defined? Well, now we have to find that out. So I chatted with everyone and we met and there was just complete enthusiasm and drive to make this happen. We were just, everybody was all in. And I can definitely say we couldn't have done it without 150% commitment because we really were going into the unknown. We knew generally where we wanted to go, but we had no idea how we were going to get there. But we knew everybody needed to be on the bus. The right people needed to be on the bus. So from there, we just looked at how we could leverage everyone's specific skills and relationships with our customers. We assigned account owners and then started building our processes. So that's really the bulk of how we tackled having the small budget was working with what we had. And that was the foundation to starting the team. And for the first, I'd say, four to six months, we didn't ask for any money. We just got to work and started seeing the results come in, and it showed that our plan was working. Now, that was, I'd say, the, the largest factor. But I did want to touch on the budgeting side, too, because this did come into play once the gears were turning. Yeah. So we knew that a lot of these internal changes were not all lateral moves as we were shifting people around and we would require some investment here and there. And this is where our forecast plan came in. So 
what I did was I looked at all of our accounts literally on a spreadsheet in Excel, forecasted <laughs> who I thought would churn, yep. renewals, potential expansions, and high risk. And with this, we were able to put a dollar amount on everything, and we were able to make the case to the executive team to say, this is our forecast, this is the opportunity value, this is the risk, here's our strategy to tackle this, and if we get this investment, we feel we could hit these results. Mm -hmm. And it was so precise, and it doesn't have to be fancy or perfect, you just have to do it. And it was so easy for them to say, all right, well, here's, this is how you follow the trail. And you need to have a plan. And the plan based on forecasting is really, I think, the way that anybody should really ask for money and do budgeting regardless of your industry or situation because it shows that you have an intent for what you want to do with this money and you can show or model in some way that return on investment. Yes. Actually, I was just on Helping Sells, the podcast that you guys produced (laughs) with Bill a couple of days ago talking about this exact topic because I 100% agree with you. I think you can't, you can't just go to your leadership team with an emotional plea of my CSMs are feeling overloaded and we need another one. You know, it has, there has to be a financial business case behind every investment that you ask for and how you describe putting that together is exactly the right way to do that. So Good job. Very very simplified version. (laughs) You know what? Honestly, it does not have to be rocket science. It it can just be a very simple spreadsheet. That's how I've always done forecasting for my teams. Um, I think what you put together sounds just as detailed as any sales plan I've ever seen. (laughs) I think it's great. Um, You know, probably more detailed than most sales plans that are put out there. Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely the way to approach it. If you want to, um, if anybody who's listening wants to hear more about budgeting or get into more depth, um, Bill and I, um, talk about that quite a bit in that episode, I think is going to come out soon. So go check out Helping Sales Radio. (laughs) Um, so let's get into some of your specific tactics for growing the team. What was your approach to hiring and developing the team once you had some investment to spend on that? So as I mentioned earlier, we we sourced our team from individuals already working within LearnDot that had the technical expertise, the product knowledge, mm-hmm. they knew how to build training programs, and they were customer focused. So these were all individuals we knew would bring strong relationships to the table and already had just an amazing track record of praise from our customers on their ability to help them achieve their goals. So right. even though we sourced internally What was very important here, and I think to anyone listening that's going to do something similar, is establishing clarity in what the CSM position will entail. So we Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time defining those goals and responsibilities of a CSM, writing out the job description as if we were hiring someone off the street, what metrics they would be measured on. We didn't want any ambiguity. So just because you're restructuring the team with people on it that you already work with, it doesn't mean you need to take shortcuts. You're basically interviewing people for the job to make sure they're the right fit and the desire is there. Because if someone doesn't want to actually do that job, we weren't just going to say, hey, we need to fill a space here. You're going to do it either way. That wasn't the case. We wanted to make sure everybody was interested in this and they could see themselves doing this role at least for the the long term or the foreseeable future. So yeah. that was really important and to set those expectations. So 
I'll be the first to say we didn't know 100% on how we would start building the processes and everything surrounding it, but we knew that we could figure it out together and that that part would come eventually. But what couldn't wait was just letting more time go by where people weren't talking to some of our customers. So that's kind of the point at which we made the pivot and we embarked on that journey to start building those processes with the team. Very cool. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you like Strike Deck Radio, I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast, Reading for Success. Reading for Success is a short weekly podcast where I review books and articles on customer success leadership, break them down for you, and help you figure out whether or not they are worth your time. We will also be featuring author interviews from time to time. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many of the other podcast platforms. I hope you'll join me for Reading for Success. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I love data. If you want to create a data-driven customer success program, StrikeDeck's Pro Guide to Customer Success is a report based on a preliminary study of 5,600 CS professionals from nearly 600 companies. It highlights the scope of customer success and offers valuable data points to help CS professionals enhance their initiatives. Get access to it now and let data drive your decision making. We'll add the link in the description of this podcast. And now back to today's episode. So Mel, how did you approach developing processes for your team? I'm assuming basically from scratch. (laughs) Yeah. So over time, we had cultivated some really great assets, especially on the implementation side, because I felt our implementation in the last year or so was really, really solid. So we had good pre-implementation questionnaires, our guides, our handover decks. Those were all looking pretty good. And I had decks I had used for QBRs. I had run sort of one-off. But Mm -hmm. we didn't have the process to string everything together. And there were definitely still some gaps there. So what we did is once we had the team on board, we took two weeks. We met almost every day for those two weeks. And we just got it done. So we sort of created an outline for how we would go about this. We first started segmenting our customers into different groups. That was based on various factors like contract size, support tier, et cetera. And then we decided what our reach out strategy would be. So we first took catalog of what are all the asynchronous communications that we have. So we have a biweekly newsletter that goes out um, and then events. So we have a monthly user group. We have a quarterly product webinar. And those are things that all customers have access to. The part that wasn't defined was the cadence for how CSMs would talk to customers. So We honestly just said, hey, we've got three segments. What can we handle right now? And we went with biweekly, monthly, and quarterly. So we just said, let's start with this and go from there. If we think we need to make more time or we need to do more frequent meetings, we can adjust, but we need to just pick something and go with that. So we did. And then we just took inventory of all of our assets and we determined, well, what needs to be refreshed a little bit? What's missing? Um, And then we kind of divided and conquered. So in those two weeks, it was a little bit of a mad dash, but everyone just put their heads down and we got it done. And the common theme throughout all of, especially with the QBRs and the check-ins and the conversations we wanted CSMs to have with customers 
was ensuring that those conversations would follow a similar pattern of helping customers define their business goals if they didn't already know what they were, checking in on those goals consistently and updating the progress, and then tracking different projects and initiatives that support those goals, and then sharing key product usage data and metrics. And those elements were a part of every single conversation because a pitfall that we had had previously when we tried to do success years and years ago was getting trapped in the weeds. So yeah. those CSM conversations were, let's up, let's get an update on this support ticket, or let's talk about yeah. this enhancement request. And it was meeting with CSMs like every two weeks to talk about those same tickets and requests, which there was no substance to that conversation. And if anything, there is such a thing as talking to someone too frequently if that's the context of what you're talking about, because right. it looks like nothing is getting done. There's no progress being yeah. made. That enhancement's still in the queue. So we really wanted to make sure that this conversation was focused on successes and how to work through challenges that were putting those goals at risk. And that in itself entirely transformed the way that we talk to customers today and that content. So we made sure that theme was just relevant in every single asset that we created and all of those conversations. But that's really how we created the skeleton to the processes that we use today. And we've just kind of tweaked here and there as we've gone along. That's fantastic. Um, kind of a, along the lines of what you just shared, how are you thinking about tools for your team, um, especially considering the budget limitations that you started out with? And kind of a follow-up to that is, what are you thinking about adding to your customer success tech stack as you go into this coming year? Great question. Well, you already know I'm a fan of Excel, but yeah, (laughs) you have all the tech you need. (laughs) Excel is a magical tool. Um, We keep things fairly simple right now from a perspective. So we primarily use HubSpot for tracking information on customers, notes from conversations, follow-up activities, emails, and we also use it for sales. So that's where we have our sales pipeline, our opportunities and deals and all the information that's tracked related to that. And we use HubSpot across the company, so it was only natural that we would see what we could bend and tweak in HubSpot to work for our purposes from the success side of things. Um, We also use Confluence as a mutual collaboration tool with our customers, so that's where we create spaces every time we go through onboarding where we could track notes and put in all the guides for onboarding And we also use that for our internal processes and documentation. And then to talk and collaborate with the team, Workplace is what we use at the company level. So though I'm very enamored with so many of the fantastic CS tools on the market, the reality is just that we aren't quite there yet in needing a tool to bring everyone together in this way because of our volume. And I think that's perfectly okay. I know that when the time is right, We are definitely going to need to look at our budget and see how we can make that happen. But right now, you know, we've decided as a company, we've invested in HubSpot and we've been fairly successful with leveraging that for most of our needs. And sometimes it is frustrating because you can't do everything you want and we do need to still use spreadsheets sometimes, but it works. And until we can justify it and the numbers are there, we don't need to necessarily make that move right now. And I think having that mentality of do we actually need it today has really helped us make some pretty significant expense savings in the last year. 
So we have been fairly conservative on that side, but I know that there are some really great tools out there that I am excited for us to use when the the time is right. Yeah, I think when you're thinking about a startup, one of the mistakes that I see companies out there making all the time is just they get excited about the latest shiny thing that gets presented and they end up, we walk, you know, we walk in when they're getting ready to scale and they, they need some help feel, figuring, you know, the scalability part of everything out. And we're looking at their tech stack and it's just this huge smattering of everything under the sun that you can imagine kind of best of breed. And it, it, it basically requires a lot of consolidation of, tech in order to get them ready for scalability. And so, you know, I think it's wise to kind of go easy on that initially yes. until you kind of get stuff sorted out and then you can you can always add more tech later. Um, for sure. And you yeah. can ask sometimes if you ask someone such a basic question, like, well, what are the three goals of that customer? It's like, we, well, we don't have that. Like it's every <laughs> other bit of information under the sun, but it's not the core, right? So yeah. And we have just done that by we create account plans for every customer. We built them in, you know, a Word doc or a Google doc. And we have yeah. a link to those account plans in HubSpot. And it's it's basic. It's simple. And if anybody wanted to go to that customer and say, hey, what's the plan for X, Y, Z? You could just click on that link, read everything there is to know about that customer, what their current contract is, what we're going to be proposing next year, and what's our strategy to get there. And it's as simple as that. And I think it's it's another thing to embrace as a small company is you don't need the fancy, shiny toys. You can make it work with, you know, free tools that you're probably already using on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the nice things about thinking that way as you're in an early stage company is that when you are ready for a CS platform and you do need the case to make the case for that. You haven't already spent all this money on other stuff. <laughs> you know, it's Absolutely. a lot it's a lot easier to to carve out that budget for a CS platform if you haven't, you know, spent the money on the latest chat tool or the, you know, like yes. the the all the little best of breed things that yeah, can make your job nice, but you know, you may not need right at that early stage. Yes. And you can yeah. clearly articulate at that point what it is about that tool that you need. Like we've yeah. been going for X amount of time without it. These are the things that are causing us the pain. And here's a monetary value of the time that it's costing us. And this yep. is why we need to make the invest. But you don't have that information if you haven't actually tried to do it in another way. Yeah, exactly. Um, another thing that you mentioned to me before the interview is that it's been a challenge for you personally balancing leadership and work. You still have clients that you work with. Um, how do you make sure that you're a solid leader for your team while still serving those customers? I, I love this question. So <laughs> this is kind of building on something we were chatting about earlier. But at the end of the day, again, to be a good leader, you have to make leading and managing your team the number one priority. It yeah. can't be second or third. It's the only way to lead effectively and build a relationship with your reports. And I'll be the first to admit, it can get really hectic sometimes. And my stress level is pretty much through the roof on a constant basis. But my main objective is to be able to be available for my team. And remote working has really been a blessing in that way because it's helped with that since my team is pretty much located across the entire world. 
So I have that extra availability to jump on random calls if someone needs something or they just want to vent at a time that works for them. And I really think one-on-ones are so crucial. I do them on a weekly basis. And that one-on-one is their time, whether it's to share accomplishments, discuss blockers, or even just to vent to someone, it's their meeting and I'm all ears to that. And the one thing I've been working on that's helped me prioritize my commitment as a manager is letting go of the reins and delegating more. And I know every single person that's a manager probably hears that all the time, but it's because it's true and it's the hardest thing to do, especially if you're used to being an individual contributor is you have to delegate. You have to trust in your team. You need to make the time to share the knowledge and transition the work. And it's the hallmark to me of good leadership because it means you trust your team, you're encouraging cross-training and upskilling, and you give someone the opportunity to shine. Maybe there's a process that you think you are the only person under the sun that can do, but I'll tell you that's not true. There is no such thing. (laughs) As long as you have capable people that are willing to learn, you can hand that over. And it really gives that person the opportunity to, to do something great and to be recognized for that achievement. And I would say a lot of my leadership foundation comes from, again, having a great relationship with my manager right now and managers I've had in the past. I see the value in having someone just there that has your back and is there for you at the drop of a hat. And if you're frustrated and you just need 10 minutes to just let it out. I can just call my manager and he is totally fine to let that happen. And that's so necessary. And I love that. And I really strive to do that for my team. And I would say from the customer side, fortunately, most of my customers that I directly manage know that I lead the team and they've been pretty forgiving about that, that I can't always be available immediately if I go AWOL for a bit. But that's why it's really important to set expectations. And that's kind of my phrase that I always say with my team and for myself is set expectations. I may not always be able to give you an answer you want to hear, but I'll honor my commitment and I will follow up when I say I will. And if you can create that mutual trust, it will go a long way in giving you that flexibility of knowing that you need to prioritize. And sometimes the customer work may not always be the number one priority. And one thing my my boss has told me, and I think is a great little thing to share, is you don't need to reply to every email in 10 minutes. Yes. Even if it's urgent, <laughs> the sky is falling. You do not need to reply to that email right away. And most of the time, if you step back and let it sit for a minute, that person is going to figure out whatever it was that was driving them crazy or they were escalating through the roof. And I am not saying, and a lot of CS people will probably think this is like blasphemy. I'm not saying ignore them, but there is a little, you need to sometimes coach your customers and you need to manage them in a way. And if you are always replying to everything within two minutes, you are setting that expectation. So when you do need to take a couple hours or you're having a slam day and you don't reply you cannot have a customer automatically assuming, you know, they need to raise the alarm bells because you haven't replied. You need to be right. mindful of your time as well. And that's been something that I've constantly been working on because I'm that type of person. If I see something important, 
I will start writing a reply right away. And I've had to relearn to not do that and to let things cool off because a lot of times these things resolve themselves. And it's not saying you're not being helpful. You're just making sure you're managing your time and your priorities well. Yeah. I mean, one, I, I struggle with exactly the same thing because it, it, and I think we, most people do because there's sort of like a little adrenaline hit that you get when you see your email inbox and there's a new one sitting in there. It's, it's sort of like, um, you know, we're getting these little adrenaline hits all day long and we get addicted to them. <laughs> so <laughs> then you want to deal with your email right away. One thing that I've found has really helped me is if I put on my calendar time to do email and it, it's kind of served a couple of purposes. It keeps me out of my email in the middle of the day, which generally is not as urgent as sometimes people think it is. Um, and then it also um, helps me understand how much time I'm really spending on email, which is if you actually track how much time you're doing that, it is enlightening. <laughs> we all spend way too much time on email. So, and that's one little tactic I think you can use. Um, Yep, I think if that's you, great. Yeah. As you, as you think about your past several years at LearnDot, what advice would you give to prospective leaders in early stage companies? Maybe what do you wish you had done differently and what are you glad you did? Nike might clock me on this, but my advice <laughs> is to just do it. And I mean this so sincerely. Don't get caught up in every minute detail before trying something new because I promise you, you will spend more time planning, talking through a million and one <laughs> scenarios when you could have already gotten something started and gotten your first round of feedback by then and know what you need to change. Yeah. Nothing is ever going to be perfect on the first iteration. So knowing that it is not worth getting caught up in the weeds. And I'll also say this is what's going to help elevate you as a leader. And it's still a skill that I work on every day. So given my background working on implementations and being very in the technical depth, I consider myself pretty detail-oriented and a planner. So I am constantly checking myself to step back and make sure I'm focused on the outcome and the big picture and not every single step or snag that we can hit along the way. And there's definitely a time and place to get into the details, but you need to set the goals for yourself or your team and execute it. And it's like saying, we're going to start a user group, send the email to the customers with a date, just pick the date and make that the milestone. And you could start on the agenda and the details later, keep it simple, but you need to put that commit on your calendar or whatever it is you need to do to get that in motion, do it. Because yeah. customers are going to tell you what they want and what they want to talk about. They just need the forum to do it. So Looking back, I just wish we had been faster about recognizing failure when it's happened, acknowledging it, and moving on. I think it would have exped expedited our growth a bit and gotten us to where we were today faster. But at the same time, mm -hmm. those are the lessons that give you the most value. But yeah, I would say I'm, I'm really glad we got to the place where we accepted that we were high touch it wasn't a bad thing and that we were going to pave our own way in this space and do things a little bit differently than maybe other businesses are doing. And we don't have to fit a particular mold and there isn't one gold standard CS model you need to follow. And that's kind of the other bit of advice I would give. You know your customers better than anyone else. Build yeah. your processes and your model based on that knowledge because it's gold. Yeah. 
I, I want to second what you just said, because, you know, being a consulting team in this space, we see this all the time. People are like, well, we want to be best of breed. And it's like, great. But you know, there is no one gold standard for customer success. It's not like building a sales organization where, you know, it's been, you know, that discipline has been around for decades. It's, you know, it's very well established what works in different sizes of organizations. It's different than that because there are a lot more variables in customer success. It's, you know, what industry are you in? What size of customers do you have? What industry are are they in? You know, how do they... What's your product product. like? Yeah, Yeah, you know, there's there's so many more variables um, in customer success and taking care of customers, and you have to take all of that into account. So we've never had two programs that we've worked on, and now we've worked on programs with hundreds of companies. No two programs have ever been identical. They're just not. Um, And so I think if you go into planning a customer success team with the idea that, oh, there's this gold standard that we're going to hit, it doesn't exist. It's only the gold standard for you and your team. And you have to figure that out. And then there's frameworks to use and there's um, kind of general general principles that work in most situations. And I think you should find and leverage those for sure. But just know that it's not going to look like anyone else's program and it can still be completely successful. Definitely. I think that's a great way to put it. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? I would say the concept of implementing a customer advisory board is pretty big right now. There's a lot of content going around on how to start one of those and what it could be used for. And I think it's because advisory boards address a gap that CSMs don't necessarily fill. And that's the ability to directly network with peers at a higher level because you're bringing together in an advisory board, maybe directors, VPs. And the discussion is not happening at the product level in the weeds. We're going into vision and strategy. And I would say, LearnDot, we're all in on this. We actually just ran our first customer advisory board about a week ago. And we found it immensely valuable. Like we were able to get some of our most influential customers in a Zoom. We let them share their stories, pick each other's brains, and help them with their challenges. And I would say the greatest success metric to running that is if you don't end up having to say anything like if you if the conversation is completely flowing and the customers (laughs) are asking each other questions you have had a successful meeting and that's the biggest hurdle for us was just deciding we were going to do it committing to it and setting a date exactly to what I just said was just doing it and once we did We had a really simple agenda for the first one. It was really easy to run. And now we kind of have the template for the next few. So I think that's really getting big. And I would highly suggest others kind of get on that bandwagon too, because there's a lot of interesting information that gets uncovered there that I don't think comes up in conversations CSMs generally have. Yeah. Mel, thanks so much for taking the time to share your experience with the audience today. I appreciate your advice and your examples. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate getting to talk about my journey and experience and share that with the rest of the CS world. 
Um, in terms of getting in touch with me, the best way would be LinkedIn, Mel Bill Gay. I'm probably one of the only people with that name, so that's a safe bet. Uh, and I'd also check out Connecting the Dots, the podcast that I co-host with Bill Couchard. We talk about building a business based on learning, and we cover plenty of CS topics in there as well. And we elaborate on a lot of the stories and concepts that I touched on today. So that's on all major streaming services as well. Perfect. Thanks so much, Mel. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.